Hey, thanks for joining us here at the Vineyard Church Podcast. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. There's a lot of great resources there that are free and will help you grow closer to God and help you connect with the church. Right now, let's go to our next-gen pastor, Myron Jellison, for this week's message. Well, hey, everybody. Glad you're here uh, tuning in with us, and we're going to continue our journey through the book of Mark. And... uh, Wow, we're, I mean, we're not even through chapter 6. We're going to get close to the end of chapter 6. It's been incredible. And so, really, the author of Mark um, is, is going to push the question, has been pushing the question, who is this man? Is he a man, myth, Messiah? Is he Lord or is he a lunatic? Is he savior of the world or some psychopath that's off his rocker? Like, and Mark's not really leaving any gray or any, any room for us to have this like discrepancy. He's just pushing the question in the envelope of who is this guy? Who is this man? And, and, and who is he? And, and what are we going to do with that? What's that question? Who are we going to do? Or what are we going to do? with Jesus. And it's been an incredible journey. I feel like there's been this, 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 it's like we're almost at a climactic moment today that we're going to get to in Mark 6. Like it's a climactic moment where Jesus has been doing healings and miracles and teachings so profound and people are just astounded and and mesmerized by by his teachings and his authority and his miracles. And we're at a moment today where Jesus is going to do something incredible for his disciples, for his closest friends, his compadres. He's going to do something incredible that I think is a pinnacle moment for them. And Jesus is about to be like, okay, y'all are going to get this. Like you're finally going to get who I am because I'm what I'm about to do for you. Spoiler alert, we'll get there. They blew it. They blow it. They don't get it. They miss the mark. They, they suck. They're losers. They miss it. But here's the reality, okay? It gives me a lot of grace for me and for us to know that maybe we missed it too, but God will keep chasing after us. He'll keep pursuing us until we get it if we want to receive him. But the reason they missed it, and, and one of the reasons I think Jesus has kind of built this thing up to this moment in Mark 6, is because these disciples grew up as uh, Jewish boys, young Jewish boys. And between the age of 6 through 12, these Jewish boys would go to school and they would learn and they would memorize the entire uh, Torah, which was their Bible, so to speak. The first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy is called the Torah. The Jewish boys would have went to school and memorized that thing. And so we're going to see some incredible parallels from the Torah and from Moses to Jesus and what he's already done in the first six chapters that Jesus, I think, is just hoping that these guys are going to just connect the dots and they're going to go, oh my goodness, it's God in human flesh, right here in front of us. And they'll get it. And Jesus is going to do something that's going to hopefully seal the deal on this. But for us to see the magnitude of their miss on this, we got to go back to Moses. So I'm going to do a five-minute fly-through of the book of Exodus. I want you to, I want you to read the book of Exodus and, and, and read the whole story. But I'm going to try to give you the quickest summary that I can. And I got this really cool correlation parallel thing. I want you to take your notes, if you have a notebook, and I want you to literally draw a line down the middle, and I want you to have a left side and a right side. And the left side put Moses and then leave 10 lines. On the right side of that line, have Jesus and put 10 lines. And we're going to see 10 different parallels that I think we're going to see in this, in this passage today. And so here we go. Number one, if you were, grew up in a church and you heard the Bible story or know about Moses, 
he was he was gonna be he was gonna be killed. Like he, there, there was a there was a, um, a a decree made to kill all these young baby boys, and so the mom of Moses wanted to protect him, so she put him in like a wicker basket and put him in the Nile River and hid him in the in the reeds on the bank of the of the Nile River. And then Pharaoh's daughter, Pharaoh, the most powerful man in all of the known world, his daughter finds uh, this basket in the Nile River when she's down taking a bath. So she like adopts the baby. She raises Moses as her, as her own in the palace. And so Moses, number one, he comes from royalty. Write that in. Number one, under the, under the column of Moses. Number one, he comes from royalty. He was raised in the, in the royal home. And then... Um, so Moses knew that he was different, set apart, and he was going to be used to deliver God's people from captivity in Egypt. He knew that about it. He knew that was his call on his life, but he kind of jumped the gun. He, he mistimed it. He, he was trying to settle a dispute. He right hooks somebody, knocks him out, ends up killing the dude, and flees off into the wilderness for 40 years. Disappears. And then all of a sudden, a burning bush shows up, <laughs> and Moses is like, oh, that's weird. He's like, I've seen a lot of bushes in my day, but this one's on fire. What's up with that? And God speaks to Moses through a burning bush and says, Moses, it's time. Let's go. Go get my people. Go tell your grandfather to let my people go. And Moses is like, me? Oh, I, I, can't, even, I can't even talk. You want you, me? You sure? Like, we're going to do this now? He's like, yes, now. And Moses is probably like, okay, well, who, who am I going to say sent me? I'm not going to tell him some burning bush sent me. Like they're going to be like, yeah, what kind, of, what kind of bush were you burning? You know, thinking that I'm going to let my people go. And, and you know what the bush says? You know what God says to Moses? He says, tell them the great I am. I am sent you. I am. It was a phrase that would use God, uh, you know, God now, God in the beginning, God forever, God everlasting, the almighty creator of the universe. Tell them I am sent you. And so number two, under Moses, he meets the great I am in the burning bush. And number three in that list would be he was sent to deliver his people. Now he's, he's going to go, he's sent to go deliver his people out of the bondage and, and slavery and captivity of Egypt. And he's sent to deliver his people. There was plague. If, you're, if you know the story, there was plague after plague after plague after plague after plague. And Moses kept saying, let my people go and know. And finally, there was one final plague that was going to kill all the young, all the young boys Unless you had the Passover lamb, where they and so so the Hebrew people, Moses and the people, they would they sacrifice a lamb, put the blood across their door, uh, the door frame there, and and and, the, and and the lamb of God passed over them, and so those the, those children wouldn't be wouldn't be harmed, and so that was the final one. And Moses and then then Pharaoh said, "Get out! Like just get out! <laughs> we don't want you here." So they actually delivered. You know, Moses led the people out of Egypt, uh, out of slavery and captivity. He delivered his people. And then, these aren't in order, but number four, uh, if you know a little bit about Moses in the story, number four, he meets with God on a mountain. So Moses goes up on a mountain, there's this volcanic cloud and thunderstorm that takes place, and it's this crazy supernatural encounter that he has, and God gives him instructions, he carves them into stone tablets, and he brings these tablets down off of a mountain, and he meets with God on a mountain, and that leads me to number five about Moses, he was given God's, he was given God's words. He was given God's words that he put into a tablet. And then also he was a prophet that God would speak through on behalf of the nation of Israel to relay God's words to. So Moses was given God's words to give to the people. And another part of the story of the account uh, through the whole book of Exodus is they're, they're on the way to the promised land that God was going to give them, but they, they kind of disobey and get lost. And then they're wandering around for 40 years. And if you know, they had about a million, a million and a half people in this nation. 
and they don't really have much. It just came out of slavery and like the supply chain for food is very uh, non-existent. And so they're gonna die. They're gonna starve to death. And so Moses prays and the next morning they wake up and there's just popcorn all over the, all over the ground. I know the words manna, but we just, that's popcorn. Like there's, it's everywhere on the ground and they got it. And, and God's like, hey, you know what? Don't store up any of the excess, throw it away. And I'll give you more tomorrow. Because if you store it up, it's going to spoil and that stuff can make you deathly ill. Like don't store up enough. Don't hoard it. Eat what you need for today and I'll give you more tomorrow. And so Moses, number six, he prays for bread and God provides. Number six, Moses prays for bread. And then, you know, as they're on the exodus from Egypt and they're running or they're fleeing, they're leaving, the, the Egyptian army's chasing after them and Moses puts up his staff, splits the Red Sea, they walk across, all safe. The Egyptian army's inside, the waves come, cra- or the, the, you know, the sea, you know, the alleyway, you know, goes back to being a sea and, and the Egyptian army's wiped out and they're delivered and they're free. And so number seven, Moses, he walks through water. And then there's this really crazy encounter in Exodus 33 to where Moses has this desperation moment. He's like, hey, God, I just want to see you. Would you let me see you? And God's like, no, you can't really see me because you'll die. But you know what I'll do? I'll put you on this rock cleft. I'll cover your face. I'll pass by you. And then I will open your eyes and you'll be able to see the backside of me. Not that God's a finite shaped being, but the backside was his goodness and his glory, which was revealed to Moses as God passed by him. That's number eight in your list there. God passes by him. And I already said this one, number nine, they're on the journey to an earthly promised land. That's where Moses is leading these people to an earthly promised land. And on the journey, it was never easy. It was hard. They would fall away. They'd come back. They'd fall away. They'd come back. And there was this journey. And number 10, the final thing with Moses is that hearts were hardened. The Israelite people, their hearts were hardened. Even though they had a cloud to provide shade that God provided, even though they struck a rock and water came out, even though the popcorn showed up every morning for them to eat, even though God provided over and part of the Red Sea provided over and over and over again, they were still grumbling and complaining and whining and wanting to revert back to their old life, their old ways of what they were comfortable with. Their hearts were hardened to God's goodness and his provision in their life. Now, why did I go there? Well, that's the only, that, like, why did I go through Exodus and give you that framework? It's because I think through the first six chapters of Mark here, there are so many correlations and the disciples would have known all of these stories. They would have known all of these accounts of Moses because they studied the Torah. They had it memorized by age 12. They probably sat around the campfire and their dads and their moms would tell them these stories and these accounts of the greatest prophet that ever lived of the Israelite people, Moses. They knew it. Like these little Jewish boys, I figured that they probably had like the Moses PJs and bed sheets and pillows and posters on their walls. It'd be like our kids of today having Captain America or Iron Man. Like he was their superhero. His powers and his ability to do what he did with the power of God was incredible. And I'm sure they looked up to him and they would have known all of these accounts. And so Jesus is about to do something in Mark 6 that just puts the exclamation point that it should have clicked in these Jewish disciples' minds. They should have known. They should have figured it out. And so I want you to keep that list of 10. We're going to fill in Jesus here side in just a minute. Now let's get to Mark 6 and pick up where we left off. So Mark 6, we're going to start in verse 45. And it says, Immediately he made the disciples get into a boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida 
while he dismissed the crowd. This is right after he just fed the 5,000 men, which there was women and children, probably 10,000 or so people got fed off of a boy's sack lunch of two fish and five loaves. And so immediately he says, get in a boat (laughs) as I dismiss the crowd. And after he'd taken leave of them, he went up on a mountain to pray. Why does Jesus immediately get the disciples out of the way? You ever thought about this? It was crazy. Like this is a big crowd. Why wouldn't the disciples go and like clean up the leftovers? All right, thanks for coming. We'll see you. Jesus is like, no, we got to get you out of here. There's something happening. And John chapter six, we see this in the gospel of John of the same account right after he fed the 5,000. It says this in verse 14 of John 6. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force and make him king, Jesus withdrew to the mountain by himself. Jesus knew that these people were starting to connect eyes and say, oh, this guy's like an incredible teacher. He's a prophet that was supposed to come. We need to march him to Jerusalem and make him king and restore everything as it was in the good old days back in the time of like Moses. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. That's not what I came to do. That's not who I am. I'm different than your mold, your model. I didn't come to fit your philosophy, your ideology. I'm completely different. And he knows the mumbling of the crowd. And if the disciples would have been hanging around and they would have got wind of this, it's like, oh yeah, dude, he took, the, he took the bread and just made it out of nowhere. Or he would have, they would have been getting to elaborate on more of the miracles and it would have just heightened this movement to march Jesus into the capital to make him king. And Jesus is like, no, that's not my plan. I can't do that. Disciples, get out of here. You're just gonna cause more trouble for their plan. And so he gets them out of the way, dismisses the crowd, and then he goes and gets some well-deserved rest that he needed up on a mountain as he prayed and talked to God. And so Jesus is up on a mountain. Disciples are in a boat headed across the sea. And when it says in verse 47, when evening came, the boat was out on the sea and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, which is between 4 a.m. and 6 a.m., so in the early dawn, dark of, of the morning, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass them by. You got to underline, you got to circle that phrase. This phrase is incredible. He meant to pass them by. I'm frustrated by it when I first read it and I go, bro, like you were on the mountain, you see, you see your closest friend struggling It's like a rescue mission, Coast Guard rescue mission. And you overshot them? (laughs) Like you're just going to miss them? You're just going to leave them there? What is Jesus doing by passing them by? We'll get there. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a a ghost and they cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased and they were utterly astounded for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Jesus is going to leave the mountain. He sees them out there and he's going to walk across the water and he's going to pass them by. Do you remember Moses, how God passed him by so that his goodness and glory could be observed by Moses. There was another prophet, Elijah, one of the other great superstar prophets of of the Israelite people. Had this encounter too where God passed him by. The Jewish boys grew up hearing these stories. Jesus is on the mountain thinking, you know what? They're ready for this. 
they're ready for me to pass them by, to give them the same kind of experience that Moses and Elijah got, to see my goodness and my glory, to put the exclamation point on who I am. I'm not just a good teacher. I'm not just a miracle worker. I'm not just a prophet as the world and society and culture is trying to make me. I am God in human flesh. And he's about to pass them by. He's about to step outside of the natural and and walk on top of water, which only God can do to reveal to the disciples he is who he's claiming to be. And he's going to have this special moment, this climactic moment for his boys out in the boat. But guess what? They blew it. They blew it. They were terrified, scared when they saw him, cried out. And Jesus, I could just imagine throwing his hands at him going, well, God, that didn't work. I thought this was going to be the moment that they were going to get it. He's like, well, I better still go save him. So he walks over, he gets in the boat, calms it all down. And they were astounded, utterly astounded because of what he did. And their hearts were hardened because they didn't understand about the loaves. They haven't quite comprehended and understood who Jesus is. You see, Moses, and this is, I think this is why Jesus stepped outside onto the water to pass them by, to reveal and put the exclamation point that he is greater than Moses. He's greater. He's God in the human flesh. Because look at the correlations. Number one, Moses says, uh, comes from royalty. Jesus claims to be royalty. Put that in number one next to the line on number one, Moses, in your, in your notes. Jesus claims to be royalty. Mark chapter two, where the paralytic, they lower him down through the roof. And Jesus says, yeah, your sins are forgiven. Pick up your mat and walk. And everyone's like, whoa, 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 whoa. You can, for, you can forgive sins? And Jesus is like, well, what's easier? Get up and walk or forgive sins? And just so you know who I am, I'm gonna, tell, I'm gonna forgive this guy's sins because I am the son of man. And 83 times that phrase was used and Jesus used that phrase to confirm that he is God in human flesh. Heaven invaded earth and Jesus is the one, the son of man. No doubting it, he is royalty. He's claiming to be King Jesus, creator of the universe. You see, Moses, he met the great I am, but Jesus is saying, I am the great I am. I am him. I am the son of man. You see, Moses was sent to deliver his people. Jesus was sent to deliver all people of all nations, of all time, everywhere. That was his mission. That was his purpose. And that's why he came to this earth. You see, Moses met with God on a mountain. Just before he walked on the water, Jesus was meeting with God on a mountain. Moses was given the words of God, but Jesus, he speaks the words of God. Every time he taught, everyone was amazed. Where does he get this authority? How does he have this kind of authority to teach the way that he teaches? He's speaking God's exact words. You see, Moses prayed for bread and God delivered it. Jesus just creates it from a sack lunch of a boy. He creates the bread. You see, Moses walked through the water. God powered, uh, you know, gave, gave them the power and the ability to, to, to move the water so they could walk through it. Jesus says, I created the H, the two, and the O, and I can walk on top of this. And he does it. Jesus walks on water. You see, God passes by Moses, revealing his goodness and his glory to him, giving him the supernatural interaction of, of confirming who he is. Jesus passes by them on the water. You see, Moses was leading them to an eternal promised land. Jesus is leading them, or no, Moses is leading them to an earthly promised land. Jesus is leading us to an eternal promised land. And the last one, the Israelites' hearts were hardened. The disciples' hearts were hardened. It's crazy to me. 
crazy to me. I'm like, how did they not get it? How did they not get it? How did they not see that Jesus is greater than Moses, that he's fulfilling every prophecy? He, he, he is God in human flesh, doing all these miracles and wonders and teachings, but they'd missed it. They'd missed it. And so I'm, I'm looking at the disciples and I'm like, you know what? I kind of wanted to call this message, don't be a disciple. Because like, they've kind of blown it. They kind of haven't been the best in, in, in actually understanding and receiving and, and knowing. They've kind of blown it a little bit up to this point. Now there's redemption. Once they see the risen Savior and the scars in his hands, they will all go on to be martyred for their faith and they will not deny Jesus because they saw him alive. But at this moment, they're not a great example of what we are to follow. Their hearts were hardened. They had missed it. And I think maybe some of the reason that they, they had missed it is because they become consumeristic in their faith. They started to think about, well, what is this going to do for me? What kind of, what, how big of a slice of a pie am I going to get? And they're going to show their hand in a chapter here too. We're going to get there because they're going to start arguing about who's the greatest in the kingdom of God. And two of them, James and John, are like, hey, hey, can you make us one and two? Our mom said you would. Like, oh, and she's coming to talk to you, by the way, too. Like, she's coming. You need to make us one and two. And he's like, you guys still, still don't get it. And then we're going to see the disciples start to not understand his teachings and his parables. And Jesus like, don't you have ears to hear? Don't you have eyes to see? And they're like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. Like it just gets worse from here because their hearts were hard and they had missed it. They hadn't fully understood and comprehended that he was God in human form. And a hardened heart belongs to any follower that thinks it's about me. Jesus is in my boat to answer my prayers and to guide me and to bless me. A hardened heart doesn't mean we reject God or we don't believe in God. It's just that we're insensitive to, to who he is and his faithfulness and his goodness to us. And we can become consumeristic in our Christianity. And like, I'm only going to do that if it's going to benefit me, if it's going to bless me, if it's going to increase my well-being and my life and my fortune and, and my happiness. And so a hardened heart is anyone who's following Jesus or trying to follow Jesus, thinking it's going to all be about me. I'm the hero of my story. Jesus is going to come to my boat to, to, to bless me, to answer my prayers, and to guide me. And the disciples, I think, are in that place right now. They're, they're looking at their future like, well, what is this going to mean for me? Like, what's, what's this actually going to do for me? I think a lot of us live there too. What am I going to get out of following Jesus? What benefit is it? What, what am I going to receive? And there's some lies in our culture and our world that gives, you know, guarantees us prosperity and blessing. And I'm here to tell you that's not what it is. The disciples missed it. We may have missed it. And so I'm going to ask you, how's your heart? We've asked you that question a lot through this journey of Mark. How's your heart? Is it hardened to God's goodness, to God's provision, to God's faithfulness to you? It may not look in the form of that you want or that you would have designed for yourself, but have you become numb to it? Have you become hard? Is your heart hardened. And I would say that an open heart is how we should live. And if you have a hardened heart, let's try to change that to an open heart. An open heart says that my life is his. My life is his. It was bought for a price. I don't know if you know this, but he's going to die. He's going to be crucified for you. Spoiler alert. But your life was bought for a price. Your life is his now. My life, my day, my jobs, my career, my family, everything is to honor Christ. It's his show, not mine. He walks on the water. I don't. And that everything that we do out of faith and obedience and surrender is to honor and glorify him because of what he has done that we'll see that he will do by going to the cross here in the few chapters. And some of you might be looking at this story like, I don't like this version of the story. 
I thought this was the story where Peter walked on the water. Let's talk about that. Peter, great faith, getting out in the storm, and God's going to rescue and save me and get me back to safety. And let's make that the story, right? Isn't that where Peter is? Isn't this the story with Peter? And you're right. This is the story with Peter. In the book of Matthew, that account is in there. But you know what? Mark doesn't put that in there. And here's the interesting thing. Okay, most likely Mark is writing from the account of Peter. Like Peter's sharing his account and Mark's penning it down and writing it. And Mark's probably like, hey, Peter, don't you want to put in that you walked? And Peter finally gets it after he sees the risen Savior and is going to give his account and Mark's going to pen it down. Peter finally goes, you know what? It's not about me. It's not about me. I'm not, I'm not the hero of the story. I don't even need to be involved in the story. It's all about him and what he did leaving heaven, invading my life, invading this earth to save me from my sin and reconcile me back to God. He's the hero. Don't put me in there, Mark. And I want to encourage you. That's kind of one of my phrases that I live by. It's not about me. And I want you to say that prayer or utter that or write that down, put that on your mirror, put that on your phone background. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. The whole entire Bible is about Jesus. He's the hero, not you. We do not insert ourselves in to Bible with Bible characters and think it's about us and we're gonna get blessed and we're gonna receive and get. No, the whole entire Bible with all these parallels from the Old Testament to the New Testament is all about Jesus and a, and a, and a, and a rescue mission for you and for me from our sin. See, that's the good news, that you can't fix your life on your own. And the gift of salvation, you can't earn it at all. It was a gift, a free gift that Jesus is going to earn on your behalf by going to the cross and paying the penalty you should have paid for your sin. And if you receive that, your sins are forgiven. You can be made new and you can have eternal life and you can be on the journey to eternal life that he's promising you. And you can have life and life to the full now if you'll surrender and follow him and flip your mindset and soften your heart and realize it's not about you and what you can get. Me, 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 me. And I grew up as a pastor's kid. I missed it my whole life till I was 19 years old. I knew every story. I know every, I don't know every Bible verse, but I know a lot of the Bible verses. I know a lot of the stories. I know a lot. I grew up hearing it all the time. And it wasn't until I was 19 years old in the prime of my life, playing baseball at West Liberty, squatting 415 pounds, bench pressing 225 pounds, come in here, sit right about there in this auditorium, and I bawl my eyes out the whole entire service, and I don't know why. I don't know why. Now I know Jesus invaded my life again. He renewed my heart. He softened it and said, Myron, you've been missing it your whole entire life. It's not about you, your accolades, your success, your dreams, your visions, your plans. It's about being obedient and just surrendering and following me. And that day when I was 19 years old, my life has never been the same since. Finished college, ended up getting a job here somehow, crazy. And here I am. And my life is incredible and I'm blessed. And I'm not saying that God doesn't want to bless you. I'm not saying the Bible's not full of it. Isn't every good gift come from God and he's a good heavenly father who wants to give good gifts and bless his kids? Yes, he does. But that's not the reason that we consume. That's not the reason that we engage. We engage from a grateful heart of repentance and knowing that he died for us. And we just want to honor him with our entire being. The other phrase that I live my life by is this. If Jesus doesn't do anything else for me except dying on the cross for my sin, is he enough? That's the question. And if the answer is no, there's a problem. 
If Jesus would do nothing else for you the rest of your life, would you still follow him? I hope the answer is yes. He doesn't have to do anything else for you. He's already done more than he's needed to on the cross. And he's not here. His his MO, his motivation, his agenda isn't to bless you and prosper you. But he was here to save you from an eternity separated from him in hell. And that's what this whole entire story is about. That's this moment Jesus walking on the sea to try to confirm it to his closest followers. But they missed it. And so let's get real with our hearts right now. Have you missed it? Have you been missing it? Is your motivations and your intentions out of line? And today is a day in which you can repent and you can begin to soften your heart and you begin to to live a life fully devoted and surrendered to him and live the life that you were called to live. Let me pray. Father, I thank you that you continually have grace for us when we mess up, when we fall short, and when we miss it, when we blow it. And God, I pray that hearts would be softened today and we would, we would not be narcissistic and consumeristic in our faith, but we would be totally surrendered and faithful to you, knowing the, the sacrifice that you had for us, that you paid for us. Then in return, we would just live a life that honors you and serves you and keeps you first in priority. And so God, help us navigate this life well. Help us never lose sight of that and help us from having our heart become rehardened. Continually make it soft, Jesus. Lead us and guide us and show us the way. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for joining us here at the Vineyard. It's our greatest desire to see you find and follow God, and we hope that this podcast has helped you do just that. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. Again, thanks for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.